I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited about this week's episode of Beauty Bosses. We have a beautiful boss here in the office today, Claire Olshan who is the founder of Five Story, which you probably know is a luxury fashion boutique on the Upper East Side, and more recently, the founder of this really awesome, luxury, aesthetic-minded snack food company, Dada Daily, um, and it's been making all the rounds, so thanks for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so, this is really exciting because I love your clothes, I love your green head, and snacks um we have so much to talk about yeah there's a lot to talk about how how did you get started so let's kind of rewind right now you've made a pretty um major name for yourself in both fashion and now snack food um but way back when what did you think you were going to be when you grew up so i grew up on the upper east side and i was obsessed with art and i was very um I was very obsessed with being an art advisor or working at a museum, and that's what I did. And as a, you know, born and bred New Yorker, I kept my head down and went on that path, and it was an overachiever, and I interned at Sotheby's, and then I hated it. And then I interned at the new museum, and I actually took a job assisting the curators, and I hated that too. And then I got a um, director role at a gallery, and I didn't like that either, and I said, oh my god, I've... I've kind of tried everything. This was supposed to be, this was my everything. Like I got a bachelor's in art and a master's in art. Um, and where did you go to school? I went to NYU. And so at around 22 and a half, almost 23 years old, I had to really kind of leave every single path that I had thought I was gonna go down and reevaluate what I wanted to do. And that's where Five Story was bred. So you have recently graduated NYU, you've spent a few years in the art world, mm -hmm. you know it's not for you. How did you go from there to Five Story? So I, it was actually bizarre because as, as I said, I was born and raised in New York, so I was always overscheduled, always doing a million things at one time, and all of a sudden I had nothing to do. Like I woke up and I had nowhere to go, and everyone was in their job, and I was like petrified. and. I spent a lot of time alone, and I remember spending a lot of time in like Central Park doing crossword puzzles, and like that was like my activity of the morning. <laughs> that sounds like heaven. <laughs> no, it's heaven to some like kind of hell after like it becomes Groundhog Day. And then um, I would just walk up and down Madison, because that's kind of where I grew up, and that's where I was living at the time. And I was really sad, and I said, when I grew up here, it felt like alive, and all the stores were like glistening and beautiful. And I was like, where are all those beautiful stores? Where's the creativity? Where is all that stuff? And obviously it was in a pretty, you know, um, it was in a bizarre time in New York right after uh, the recession. And uh, I kept saying to myself, I owe it to the Upper East Side, which is where I grew up. I owe it to it to, to bring back the magic. So I just did it. And, and everyone's like, well, you had worked in a store before. You worked in retail. And I really, I had never done it before which seems to be a pattern because I did the same thing with food. 
Which we're going to get to in a minute. Yeah. Okay, so you decided that you wanted to carve a niche in fashion and kind of bring back the character to Upper East Side fashion boutiques. Mm-hmm. And um, did you have a background in fashion or just a taste for great clothes? I had no background in fashion at all. Um, I would say that if you're a real true athlete and you really are obsessed with aesthetics, you're obsessed with the fork on the table when you sit down and the clothing that the hostess is wearing and like how the food looks, like you could become passionate about pretty much anything in that wheelhouse. Um, so clothing to me was, was just one realm of aesthetics that I really loved. As I got older, I realized that it was only just one realm of one realm of the aesthetic world that I wanted to get involved in. But again, art was one, curating art was one, curating fashion for this boutique was another, and then food would be the third. Okay, so you opened Five Story, which is this beautiful. Tell us about Five Story. Talk someone through the experience of walking into Five Story. Well, I I don't want to make it sound like it was all, you know, peaches and creams and rainbows. Um, so I jumped into an industry that I had never worked in before, and the pluses are that you come with such a fresh mind and you're not bogged down by any of these kind of idiosyncratic um, moments that if you worked in the industry before, you'd kind of keep in your, you know, in your luggage and it would, like, kind of weigh you down. Um, I came in, like, doe-eyed and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to create this gorgeous space. Uh, we took a townhouse, we really designed it to feel like a home. We made um, couches and, and seating areas and, re- and stores in, in 2012 um, really didn't have that. They were really obsessed with selling because, you know, because of what was happening in New York. And we weren't obsessed with selling, we were obsessed with really creating an experience. And this was way before experiential retail and all those taglines. We were really about serving someone a coffee and making them feel good. And if they left with a shopping bag or not, at least they left with an experience that they really enjoyed. Um, and so that was the baseline of Five Story, and that is still the baseline of Five Story today. Um, and then we filled it, obviously, with very um, new and amazing designers that we really championed and um, tried to set a career path for. And Tell us some of the designers that have done the best in Five Story. Um, we launched Rosie Asulin, who has done really well. We launched Brandon Maxwell, who's done really well. Um, we launched Allison Liu. Um, and that's amazing, because to launch a designer that becomes a big thing is not, it's, it's nothing to sneeze at. That's not, not an everyday occurrence. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's been eight years, and... People, I think in a few articles, people called us like incubators, and that was so cool for me because I never, I didn't even, I would rather be an incubator than like, you know, taking all the, you know, Madison Avenue designers and all these designers that have their own stores. It's so much cooler to take someone when they're just starting and watch them grow and like kind of be there for all the milestones. So that to me was really amazing. And you were kind of ahead of your time because the whole concept of, luxury fashion in a homey townhouse kind of setting, like, you know, in the moda operandi type of Mm -hmm. manner, you know, you were doing that in 2010, Mm -hmm. back before it was a thing. Yeah. Which is very cool. It was really cool. Um, And retail was in a really different place. Remember, e-commerce wasn't what e-commerce is today. A few people knew net a porte, but it wasn't what it is. Um, And 
it was a very different time. It was kind of when like the stores really reigned supreme, and then we realized we had to really get on our game and start an e-commerce site, um, which I wouldn't say took away from our um, from our baseline of the experience because we were so obsessed with the store, but it definitely differentiated our client and you know what we sell and how we sell. Um, so that was a, a learning point. So what made you decide to take a step back from Five Story? Um, I would say that the best feeling you can ever have is to build a company, really believe in it, and then multiple years later look at the team you build and realize that they're actually better at most of the things than you are. Like. It was so, it's kind of like sitting at your Thanksgiving table and looking at your family and being like, wow, I'm so proud of my family. Um, I would come into work every day and I, and while obviously they need my opinion and all that stuff, everyone was getting their job done so well. And I really saw it when I was pregnant last year um, because, you know, when you're pregnant, it's just like some days you wake up and your feet swell and like you just can't do it. And I was spending a little less time away from the office every single day. And I kept thinking, oh, they're going to call me and something's going to go wrong. And not only did they not call me that something would go wrong, but the more leash I gave, the better they were doing. And I was like, oh my God, I searched and searched for really competent people. And now they're really kind of, they're growing within their space. Because when I was there, I might have been a little micromanaging. And now they're really being, <laughs> being able to like grow to their full potential. And it was, it was really nice. So I wouldn't say that I'm, definitely like taking a step back. I'm just kind of repositioning myself so that the people that I've hired can really um, do their job the best they can. Yeah, it's almost like being a parent when your kid gets exactly to be a teenager. Like, you're like so proud of them and you have to stop hovering. And I think that's, um, I think that's a really big lesson is that no one is good at everything and that you have to know your strengths and you have to know your weaknesses and you have to be able to allow people to do what they're good at and to do what you hired them for. And if they make mistakes, it's not because you gave them too much leash that people are allowed to make mistakes and they'll learn from it and they'll get better at it. And well, it's and it's good for them to make mistakes. Totally. What was your biggest surprise success with Five Story? Like something that you thought you didn't have any idea you were gonna be good at or do well at and you walked away from being like, oh my God, we nailed it. Um, I would say that we came out with our own line really organically. I would travel for like crazy weddings and all these things. I'd be traveling all over and I really love to travel. Every time I'd go somewhere, I would find something and I'd like a like a Moroccan caftan or something and I'd wear it and I'd bring it back to New York and everyone would stop me and be like, oh my God, I need to go to Five Story, I need to buy that. And I'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't sell this, I bought this and I'm you know, stuck in, in Marrakesh. And um, then I had a light bulb and I, I remember going to Marrakesh for a wedding the next time and I went to the guy who I always went to and I was like listen I don't want to buy like five I want to buy like 500 and he was just like what and I was like I really want to buy 500 caftans and I think I'm going to sell them and not only have we sold multiples of 500 but like that year it was our best seller by far by 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 far by far and it was also really rewarding because all of a sudden like I love my friends that are designers, but now like I'm getting WhatsApps from this guy named Zareeb, and he's like, you paid for my son's wedding. And I was like, oh my God, there was just such a amazing feeling to that. Um, so that I would say was the biggest shocker. We did a bunch of those types of things. 
And that's cool also because you're you're kind of curating style for people because you know, I I love a great classic Chanel, you know, piece mm-hmm. just as much as anybody, but you can see that in a nice high-end shopping center in every major city in the world. Yeah. And you can't see a sort of quirky piece from Marrakesh everywhere in the world. Yeah, and that's what I, I did in art as well. You know, like, anyone could put a Picasso up and they could say, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. But to find an artist that nobody knows and people walk in and they say, like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. Whose is this? It's like, it's just a, there's a little more depth to it in, in what I'm good at. What did you feel like you thought you were going to be good at but was a colossal failure and is not your strength and something that you just really realized that you shouldn't be handling or someone else should be helping you with? Um, or any kind of like near-miss stories? Um, I would actually say like beauty and skincare. Um, because we're a lifestyle store, we're like, oh, we could be good at everything. We should do lifestyle. And at the end of the day, you can't just like quietly do beauty and skincare you really have to be an expert at it and you have to do it really well and you have to and it's a whole beast um so that I would say was a blip a real well I can help you with that don't worry (laughs) um okay so you got pregnant last year you started to spend a little bit less time at five story and you started to think about new projects and things on the horizon talk us through what you were looking at, knowing that you have this aesthetic view of the world and you're looking for new ways to use that. So if we wanted to rewind all the way back, um, I became really obsessed with health food when I was about 15. And um, like any 15, 16 year old, you start like obsessed with health food, it turns into like some weird like eating disorder of some type. It's nothing like to write home about, but like you're telling your mom like, I can only be healthy all the time and it was very black and white. And then I had like kind of a journey to, I mean, to where I am now, but like about like what health food really meant. And I really enjoyed my journey because it got me to a place where I am obsessed with like healthy eating. And I love the feeling that I could walk into a farmer's market, I could walk into Whole Foods and I was like, I can eat anything here. It's really more farmer's market now than Whole Foods. Whole Foods doesn't have everything healthy, but it was very liberating, it was very freeing. And then all of a sudden I saw and then when you're pregnant, you're very gentle with yourself. Everything is like, you know, you're very indulgent. Like, ah, I feel like eating a chocolate chip cookie. Let's go eat that chocolate chip cookie. Like, I feel like getting my feet rubbed. Let's go get my feet rubbed. And like, I think it culminated in my pregnancy of just like this real joyousness around health food. And then when I looked at the health food industry, it was the opposite. It was wrapped around this word no. It was about no dairy, no gluten, no this, no that. It was people subscribing to diets that um, that were almost like religiously fanatic. Like if you're gluten free and you go to a birthday party and someone's like, "Oh, try it," you know, here's a piece of birthday cake, and you're like, "I can't, no, nope, I can't have a bite. I can't have a bite of gluten free." It's like God's not gonna come down and like you know punish you for having a bite. Zap you right there. <laughs> like people were getting. I just found the world getting so black and white with food, and it was like annoying because I had just had the complete opposite experience um and then I also felt like these diets are being subscribed to us by people who don't know us and everyone's body is different and people are getting farther and farther from the truth which is like what makes you feel good like for me 
I need to eat a steak a week. Like, I just need to. If I don't, I don't feel good. But I know that I eat vegan during the day, usually, because that makes me feel good, too. And why do I have, Why is it, like, taboo to hold two opposite truths at one time? So I created this company that was built on two pillars. And one was this aesthetically-minded obsession I have, and the other was this kind of joyousness and imagination and happiness within health food. Okay, and that company is Dada Daily. Yes. Tell us about the name Dada Daily. So uh, it's based off the Dada art movement, which um, is one of my favorites. Uh, basically, the Dada, Dadaist broke with all the rules in the art world of the past. So before the Dadaist came around, painting had to be, you know, of a still life, of Madonna, it had to be a sculpture, it had to confine two rules. And the Dadas came around, and Marcel Duchamp is a very famous one, and he took a urinal and put it in an exhibition and said, this is art. And it was, you know, a catastrophe for most of the people, but for me it was kind of breaking through to the other side of art, which is contemporary art today. Um, and I love this idea of taking, like, all the rules that everyone has taught them and just saying, we're, we're not going to do it. We might take some of it, but we don't have to confine ourselves to that specific, you know, genre um, or medium. So for us, we're trying to break the rules of health food. We're not saying take everything you know and throw in the garbage. We're just saying, like, make it your own. Like, do what makes you feel good. The Dadaists were also really about the body. When we say Dada, we say Dada surrealism because they're both kind of intertwined. Um, it was about the body. It was about, you know, kind of the organic nature of the mind and what made, like, things feel good, bad, what was beautiful in your mind, not to someone else. Um, and that's very much what Dada's about. Awesome. It's really exciting to have you here because a lot of times when we're talking to founders, um, their companies are pretty old. They've mm -hmm. been around for a while and they're yeah. mature companies, like five stories mm -hmm. for you. But Dada Daily is only seven weeks old. It's yeah. a newborn baby company. It's a newborn baby. Um, what's it like to be in the brand new newborn stages? Tell us your tales from the trenches. Okay, so um, I also had a newborn uh, five months ago, so I can like put them side by side. <laughs> um, so you have a newborn baby, a human baby, and you don't sleep for the first two weeks. You like black out. You have no idea what's going on. At some point, it's like two a.m. and you're zombieing to room to the room to breastfeed, and you're like. This is not what human beings are supposed to do. Like this is pretty crazy, um, and that happens with a company as well. Like the first few weeks, everything goes wrong. You have all this like romantic hope that everything goes right. Everything goes wrong, whether it's the food itself, the packaging. Um, I don't even know where to begin, but you know that like at the end of the day, you like go to sleep being like, wow. I feel very fulfilled. Even if it was the worst day ever, even if you go to sleep sleeping, at least you go sleeping being very fulfilled. So I would say our from the trenches, um, our first biggest problem was our hero product was the Brussels sprout chip, which is a full Brussels sprout cut in half dehydrated so that you can actually, you know, the, the food actually is the food. It's not a chip in a square form that says Brussels sprouts but looks like every other health food. It's literally, it's a literally Brussels, Brussels, Brussels sprout. sprout. Having never worked in health food before, I didn't realize that some Brussels sprouts have really big stems 
So we sent out about 500 Brussels sprouts with big, ugly, hard stems. And people bit into it and did, did, did not like it. Some people didn't care, but some people really cared. And all of a sudden, like, the honeymoon phase lasted about, like, 20 minutes. And then <laughs> we started to get, like, crazy phone calls of, like, people being like, what is this piece in the middle of a Brussels? I was like, well, it's a stem. Don't we know that Brussels have stems? But it was a whole learning curve. Because remember, with Five Story, I just sold other people's things. So anytime there's a problem, I was like, oh, it's the designer. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not my fault. I'm gonna, oh. I would just put the blame on someone else. But all of a sudden, this was mine. People were calling. So we had to really nip that in the bud real quick. Um, so that was, that was a real humbling moment with day one. And despite that, you've gotten amazing press and traction. So yeah. you have been featured in the New York Times and Vogue basically everywhere. Um, all these green heads all over town and all yeah. over Instagram. So tell us about um, that kind of press blitz and how that's been for your company. I think the press and I think the attention has really been because we are really different than most health food companies. We, there's this moment, there's a hashtag that we have called elevate your snacking moment. And to me, I never understood why snacking had to be this taboo thing that you, you know, that you were ashamed of that people do like quietly on their couch or like they, you know, hide in a garbage somewhere that nobody sees. Um, we really thought about snacking being at the level of like a dinner party, you know, bring, we, so you talk about the green head, we have this really cool green you head. You know, if you're wondering why I'm like crinkling stuff, it's because I'm opening the green head right now. So the green head is this moment that I concepted where your snacks would be, you know, your dinner party guest. You'd bring in instead of a bottle of wine. And it's a, it looks like styrofoam, but it is not. It's EPP, which is an environmentally safe, 100% recyclable equivalent to styrofoam. And it's this green head that is hollow. So you can, and it fits all the snacks in. So our Dada gift set is basically the head with all the snacks in it for $59. And then if you take the heads out, you can open up the chips, pour them in the head, use the head as a bowl. All, or the head is closed with this green acrylic piece that one would use as a tray for our truffles. So our four um, snacks are Brussels sprout crisps, which are Brussels sprouts with almond butter, moringa, spirulina, and they have um, 10 grams of fiber and 12 grams of protein. Oh my God, they're so good. And then we have. I'm gonna stop chewing right after this. And then we have um, cabbage petals, which are cabbage leaves coated with turmeric, cayenne pepper, apple cider vinegar, carrot. Um, they also have a ton of protein in them. And then we have two truffles: one uh, shisandra truffle, which is a dark chocolate, and one matcha latte truffle, which is matcha, maca root, and pea protein. So we're obsessed with protein in our food. None of it is unsafe. It's all ve- all of our um, snacks are vegan. Um, as I said, we don't subscribe, so you'll never see any of these gluten-free, dairy-free, anything taglined on our packaging, but we like to call ourselves like accidentally gluten-free, accidentally vegan, accidentally dairy-free. We weren't, we wouldn't want to, we didn't go out saying this is what we're going to be, but we did say we were going to be the cleanest product with the highest level of ingredients, so we ended up 
doing all of those doing things. all those things. But you don't want to put yourself in a box and like no, and we don't it. want make it a mandate. And we don't, and we really want to practice what we preach. So we really want our customer to think, you know what, like if I'm vegan, I can enjoy these, and you know what, if I'm vegan, sometimes I can enjoy these too, um, and that subscribing to a diet is really just like not what life is all about. Yeah. So why did you decide on snacks as opposed to meals? Because a lot of times when people think about food, they gravitate toward the meals with gravitas, mm -hmm. like dinner and, you know. So for me, when well, I'm a massive snacker, like crazy, insane snacker, but um, also I, I didn't understand why snacks couldn't be part of a meal. So our whole campaign that's coming out is like this crazy dinner dinner party, like um, this faux dinner party that's happening where all the Dallas snacks are part of the dinner party. And personally, I actually have now tested it many a times where, you know, the Brussels sprouts are a side dish or the cabbage leaves are, you know, an hors d'oeuvre with it. They're very delicious with alcohol. Um, <laughs> like our hors d'oeuvre, you know, when you're before, before a meal. And then the truffles at the end of a meal have been like the best dessert that everyone, everyone ever wanted. You know, after a good meal, and then someone brings out a big dessert, you're like, oh gosh, and you kind of feel like, oh, I'm going to eat it anyway, I'm already like a thousand calories in. But if someone brings out like two little chocolates, you're just like, oh, that's perfect. That's what I want. That's yeah, great. it's so civilized. So and you civilized. Don't, you don't completely ruin yourself. And the it. chocolates, the, the dark chocolates are in the shape of lips, and the um, matcha truffles are in the shape of eyes, going back to surrealism and the body parts. And so when you put them on a plate, people like kind of go crazy they're like oh it's so cute it's so delicious it's like definitely a really good uh conversation starter it's very impressive also if you want to impress your guests and these snacks are visually beautiful and also delicious which i really like too because a lot of times you choose tasty stuff that's kind of disgusting looking i totally agree i felt like it was like it looked like dog food it might have tasted delicious it looked like dog food it might have tasted like dog food um, and then the things that really tasted delicious weren't good for you. Or like there's a lot of sneaky, sneaky things in health food these days that people don't really, they're just not educated enough to know about. I got my degree in integrative nutrition somewhere in between that whole story. And um, it was really like eye-opening to me to know that like half the health food things that, we, things that we think are health food aren't. They really, they're just as bad for you as the, the regular stuff. Yeah, it's like fat-free, but 10 times the sugar as, yeah. a, as a bonus. Gluten-free is just the new fat-free, and it's going to be debunked very soon. Yeah. So let's talk about logistics a little bit. How, how was it from a regulatory standpoint to start making your own food and, like, packaging your own food? Are there a lot of regulations and things like that? Or um, did you get – are you working with a, a, a factory? Or how, how are you doing this? Yeah, so <laughs> – it's a lot, it was a lot of due diligence. Um, you basically go out there and you start to realize that if you are going to become very high level, meaning you really want to only be made in facilities that are quality, that are organic, that are you know of a certain ilk, there aren't that many in the country, especially on the East Coast. So then your list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And then you actually just have to get on the phone and start talking to people. And so the people who made our, make our dehydrated vegetables, our Brussels and our cabbage, they're in Virginia, they're on a farm, their name is Millcroft, they're 
delightful people with heavy southern accents and you just have to kind of start talking your way through what you think will be a partnership because this is a very handshake kind of business there's a lot of contracts that get put in place but up until those contracts it's very handshakey it's very old school so you really have to talk to these people uh, we make our chocolates in jersey um with this company called brooklyn born and he was the pastry chef at danielle for like 12 years his name is John Francois, and I went there and I talked to him about his, you know, French upbringing and the countryside. And we talked about so many different things. And then the last five minutes, I was like, "Oh, by the way, we, we never really talked about the fact that we're going to make chocolate." He's like, "Oh, we're going to make the chocolate." It's like, "Oh, okay, that's great." And so, part of me really likes that. It's very like, it's of a different era kind of business. Totally. Um, and then when you sign with these guys, they actually really do, they have all the paperwork and the regulations. And once you kind of work with them, you've, you've gotten all the certification you need. Once Dada becomes a certain size, it will need its own manufacturing facility, and that will be a beast. But we're not there yet. We're seven weeks old. <laughs> You're seven weeks old. And so at the seven-week time point, what is your kind of strategy? Are you trying to get through the day and fulfill orders? Or are you trying to build awareness and consumer demand? Or are you trying to think of next steps, all of the above? So we decided to be direct-to-consumer, which um, is pretty aggressive as a snack company because people like to see and feel their, their things. So right now, we are really trying to build awareness. We are trying to do you know little pop-ups, little partnerships. We, um, we were at one of your old podcast um, attendees, uh, Nell's, Hill House Home oh, Store. Yeah, I saw that. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to really change it up. We're doing everything which some would say would be wrong and other people would say different. We're not trying to f- be found in a Whole Foods or an Erewhon just yet. We will be there. But we want to be found in unexpected places. So we partner with mini bars and hotels. We partnered with, you know, cute little linen stores that we think are like-minded. Um, we're just trying to get our product to the customer almost in unexpected ways. Um, and then, and really build out this, this brand, which we think is, is just different and unique. How do you envision this snack head integrating into people's lives? Is this something that they are going to get a few of to take to dinner parties over the holidays? Is this something that they're going to have delivered to their office once a day so that those are their snacking needs? Or a once a week splurge, or what? What is this for people? So the heads to me are yes, it is the uh, equivalent to a bottle of wine or candle that you know you've got you just can't anymore. Some like you just don't know what to bring people. So we think that this is just like the cutest, most adorable, thoughtful gift. With all of the holiday parties coming up, I feel like I need twenty five of these green heads. Yes, but then we also are you know planning on doing collaborations with artists and fashion designers on the head so people will be want to collect each rendition of the head. The head itself is $29 so like we want people to collect them. I went to two meetings and this was the coolest thing. I went to two meetings and in the office, both offices, and this was without knowing I was coming, the heads were just kind of sitting there and people were like, the heads are so cool. We just filled it with like random stuff and I was like, that's what I, I like. Love the idea of people repurposing the head for whatever they feel is is cool. Um, so we just want the heads to have a life of their own, just the same way the company does. And this is kind of just a, an extra whimsical touch, and the food is also great. Right. For us, Dada really is a lifestyle brand. Uh, we are 
focusing will always be focused and rooted in snack food, healthy, clean snack food. But as I said, my aesthetic mind is just like rampant with ideas. So there'll always be other things that we will be creating that stem from it. Can you tell us about the growth of the company in the past seven weeks? Sure. So um, we went from- Just to give a reality check to everyone who's like starting a business. <laughs> okay, so it was me uh, for a very long time. Um, I finally had to hire another person because you'll blow your brains out just working alone and by yourself. Um, and the growth of the company is that you have to be really patient. Um, you can't, you know, focus on awareness, focus on sales, focus on press, focus on everything, and then expect it all to be returned at, in one big package under the Christmas tree. Like, you have to focus on one part. And you have to really say, wow, that actually worked. And then you focus on another part. And you say, that actually worked. And you have to be really patient. And I would say the first year of business, you have to be really patient. And you have to be patient with yourself, be patient with a company, be patient with people that you've hired. I would say with knowing back, going back to Five Story, it's very scary to decide on something and then realize it was wrong. You're so new and raw. And you're like, I can't, I'm just going to keep waiting till it gets better and it's like that's a really bad idea you should go with your gut if something is wrong in the beginning if it's a person or a factory or a designer or something something feels wrong you should kind of just cut it and you know because that first year should be a refresh over and over and over again so when you finish the year you're like wow this feels really good like everyone here is really a part of the team everything we're doing feels really right uh we got our product right we got everything right um but I think you have to give yourself a year, not like like demented New Yorkers who are so impatient. Like we really, you have to slow down a bit. Do you have kind of goals in terms of when you'd like to have the company be in the black or when you'd like to have the company reach a certain number of target audience or anything like that? Um, I would say this time next year, um, I would love Dada to be more of a, household name um right now i think people see us and because i worked in luxury before they're like oh it's just fancy food and I, we actually added the word daily dada daily is the real name of the company because we want people to realize that like we're differentiating ourselves be into this market by being really pretty and almost feeling a little um aspirational but in the end of the day we want you to eat us every day so we, I really hope that like this time next year, people realize that and they really are like, oh, I, you know, instead of ordering one dot at a time, they're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to order the 12 pack because I'm going to eat this, you know, for lunch every day. Or and so can you get the food separately um, if you are someone who just doesn't want 12 heads, but you want sure. 12? You can um, go on our website and get <laughs> every single thing a la carte. Or you can make your own head and stuff it with only chocolate if you only like chocolate. That um, sounds great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's that's really what I'm what I'm hoping for. Okay, amazing. Um, in terms of iterations and where you see uh, the company going, um, is there a specific um, next step that you're planning to take, or are you focusing on um, just continuing to grow awareness? Um, I think my five year plan is that I really want to build the brand right now. I want to own the brand, and that's why we didn't. We decided not to do wholesale. 
which is another like lesson that I really, I really kind of thought about because if you go wholesale, all of a sudden you're getting these really big orders, you're getting 200, you know, SKU orders. Um, and that's really good for metrics if you're looking for investment. But like for me, um, I was really obsessed with owning the brand, owning all touch points of the brand. Remember, if you go to a grocery store, you don't know who you're sitting next to, you don't know how you look, you don't know anything. So for me right now, I know every single person who's buying our product. I've you know either spoken to them while during an event or shipped out their package. Um, and I think that's really precious right now and really to understand your customer. I think in any business you do, honing in on who your customer is and being very real about that is the biggest metric to success. Um, knowing what they do, where they live, all that stuff. And then, you know, once I feel very secure on that, I do want to branch it out to the Whole Foods and all those things that um, would bring the company a little farther from my, from my grasp. Right now, are you doing all of your own fulfillment? Um, no. So the manufacturers then send it to a third-party uh, fulfillment center in Massachusetts, and then they do our fulfillment. But also, like, I think I'm on the phone with them six to seven times a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, it's just, this is a business where you get on the phone and you just talk through things. Yeah. So how did, how did you create a food-related business plan with a background in fashion and art? So, um, hmm. I would love to say I created a business plan, but I didn't. <laughs> you just created a business, which um, I think in a way is almost better. Yeah, because I tried to do a business plan, but it just didn't make sense, especially if you're trying to do something that hasn't, I'm not going to say what I did is hasn't been done before, but we really are trying to traverse all these different um, worlds. You know, data is art, and data is food, and data is fashion, and data is all these things, and I just couldn't really wrap my head around like creating this business plan that was very square I was like we're not we can't be we're not square uh we're like it's star diamond shape we're a new shape that's never been you're a snowflake yeah. <laughs> um so I stopped doing a business plan and I started just writing what I really wanted it to be and it ended up being a little bit of like a manifesto but um that's that's where I am right now um I think that that's really amazing and yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't want to do a huge business plan, just like see how much money you have and just make a pie and a lot of certain things. And like, it could be really simple. It's really like a, a math equation. It's like, all right, this is what I'm going to put to marketing and this is what I'm going to put to product and this is what I'm going to put to this. And then you just do it and you see how it works. And that's really, to me, that's like the hardest part is just saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's talk about marketing for a second. So in seven weeks, you guys have amassed already 5,000 followers on Instagram, yeah. which is really fun and cool. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about how you did that and um, if you have any advice for people who are trying to start a business and build a social following. Um, I would say that look at what other people are doing in your industry on social media and you'll start to realize that everyone's doing the same thing. Um, if you look like... I mean, if you look at Five Stories Instagram, it looks the same as like Matches and Netaport. Like, they all look the same. If you look at all the health food industries, food and all the blogs, like, they're all the same. 
there's like avocado toasts and lattes and like these bright shiny photos of just perfectness all over the place and I was like okay well that's not what we're about we're not about being perfect we're about kind of like this weird funky health food aesthetically minded dinner party candles so I was like all right we're gonna do something like different not just a little different we're gonna do something really different we're gonna be really going to art and we're gonna make you know it's sexy and like all of a sudden like I was like okay we're gonna be making health food sexy and like that wasn't done so I would say marketing wise just kind of look where everyone's going and just walk the other way and then you'll get noticed and I'm not necessarily saying that you'll get noticed for the right reasons but you'll get noticed and I always say <laughs> Diana Vreeland said to her her children you know be the best in your class and or be the worst in your class but never be in the middle <laughs> and I was like oh gosh my god if I was my son was the worst in his class I'd die but like in business that's actually really true you just want someone to feel something the same thing with artists I always said with artists even if you hate it and it makes you sick it's actually better than just saying oh that's nice so I would say in business you should you should always strive for that do you have any advice for people who are thinking about um, starting a company and um, they're trying to figure out what what they should be, what percentage of their pie that they should be investing on marketing versus the actual ins and outs of the business? Because we've had previous guests say totally different things and I'm always interested in how people answer this question. Well, I would say first and foremost, you have to make sure your product is perfect. Um, I could tell you from experience like mine wasn't and it was like it you end up spending so much more money fixing the product so I would say focus on your product and make sure you're super super proud of it and that's where your first dollar should lie and then I do believe marketing is king you know what we did is we took 250 heads and we stuffed them and we sent them out to people whether they wanted it or not. And we said, and we didn't really tell them what to do. We just sent them the heads. And some people were like, oh my God. And they ran to Instagram. Other people just kept it in their, on their kitchen counter. And I would say that that really catapulted us. And that was a lot of money. And I had to, and like, I remember my husband was looking at me because he's kind of my finance. I don't have even a finance side of the brain. I just feel like it's empty. And he just comes and sits in mm -hmm. it sometimes. And he was like, this is a lot of money to just be like, Throwing out, and I was like, no, 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 this is gonna like this is what we're gonna put our money into. Like, people are gonna see a weird green head with food in it, and that's never been done. So we decided to put our money into that. Um, and then I would say that um, besides getting your you know supply chain down and your product perfect, and then making sure your marketing is on point, then you can start cutting the other pieces of the pie. Then you can start you know advertising or. Um, doing events uh i think in this day and age people run to do events and i think it's just dumb <laughs> yeah you kind of have to build a little bit of a base first for sure when you do your first big event you should have people dying to be there not like curious of what it's about but dying to be there um and so that converts really quickly to do an event that nobody knows anything about it's just it's just too risky yeah so True or false, I read somewhere that you sprinkled protein powder on your Haagen-Dazs ice cream when you were growing up. <laughs> it is so true. And I also read that you wrap your, you used to wrap your tuna sandwiches in seaweed instead of bread. I actually would wrap every, and 
I'm not even lying. <laughs> I just wrapped my salad in seaweed right before I came here. Um, I used to wrap everything in seaweed. Everything. I thought it, I, and I thought I was a genius. I thought it was like, oh my god, I'm cracking the code. I'm going to make a restaurant where we wrap everything in seaweed. And my brother's like, no one would come. <laughs> like, literally no one would come. I feel like that's Dada 2.0. That's like yeah. next season. Yeah. The seaweed wrap. The seaweed wrap. Um, okay, well, I like what you've done here because you've really brought a beauty to food. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, one thing that I always think is interesting to talk about with people who are on the show is just this concept of beauty um, and what it means to you mm-hmm. in your world of food, fashion, culture, or society. What does beauty mean to you? Beauty means to me, um, it's... I think it's a complacentness with with yourself. Um, it's kind of like waking up every morning and saying, "I've already done what I need to do." Like you don't. Everything else is just kind of um, like fluff. It's being really, you know, kind of confident that you're your own person, that you like the person you are, um, and that you're just really grateful. I think beauty is like being grateful, um, and so. That to me. And then honestly, when you get there, I do think that you look prettier. Yeah. <laughs> you have a nice, serene expression and smile. And just, yeah, I think when you start to realize that, like, the world's not that serious of a place, that things that you think are really serious aren't that serious. And I have only gotten here after having a baby. But you're just like, you wake up, and I still breastfeed every morning, and you look at this baby, and he's like happy and healthy, and then you're like, all right. I can go back to sleep, and when he's healthy, happy and healthy, everything else is just fluff. Um, I think that really becomes, your insides become your outsides. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but we probably should wrap it up. Um, thank Lots you. of babies at I home. know. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. And where can people find you? Um, DadaDaily.com where you can buy all our snacks um, and you can follow us at Dada Daily for all the events and fun things that will be popping up around the city. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to hear what you've got going on next. Thank you. Thank you.